You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Anne Millet. Anne Millet, thanks so much for talking with me today. Oh, thank you for having me on, Brainerd. Anne May, let's talk about the current show at, at Marianne Goodman, which is Domino. And uh, there's, there's three aspects to this, correct? There's... Um, Yes, three there different are three kind of series of bodies work. of work. Yes. So let's talk about those. One of the bodies of work is is called Twenty Nine Palms, and uh, and then there's one called Vietnam, and there's a new collection of objects. So should we begin with Twenty Nine Palms? Can you tell me a little bit about that series? Yeah, that's a great way to start. And um, I decided to show these in a way to open or to renew a dialogue with landscape, and, and this is a show that is exhibited in concurrence with uh, an exhibition of Robert Smithson's work upstairs. And I thought that uh, 29 Palms, which is a series of pictures of the Marines training in the high desert of California at the start of the war with Iraq, uh, when we invaded Iraq in 2003, I was interested in not just the training and the preparation for war, but this sense of the use of the landscape, uh, which I think connects that work uh, in interesting ways to uh, Smithson's work. That's an interesting connection. So, um, so let's talk about the process of this. These are what, what are you using to 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 create these images? This is digital or, or or large format. How are these images made? So I consider myself a landscape photographer. Uh, no matter what I photograph, you know, it's about uh, issues of scale, issues of um, layering meanings, uh, one on top of the other, um, referring back to the past, uh, describing the present, and hopefully suggest something about the future. So to, to engage with those notions, it was, I've realized over time that it's very important for me to use the view camera in order to describe uh, with as much detail as possible, in order to uh, provide uh, a print that is physical, that hopefully you can enter and have a, a, a kind of more physical experience. So I use a, a large format camera and five by seven inch negatives. And it's something that was developed over time because it's not necessarily the tool that you think about when you want to photograph action. No, it's not. It's a it's a tool that that's labor intensive that often requires waiting and setup. It's it's kind of the opposite of a of a camera that you can use quickly. I mean, it's certainly diametrically opposed to, for example, a, a digital camera or a phone camera. This is this is one with enormous setup, and and getting the exposure right is is very tricky. So it it also has painstaking points in terms of just the, the craft of getting a good exposure, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many limitations. It's such a cumbersome uh, a beast to, to carry around, to roll around and to use. But I think within those limitations, uh, I learned to um, come up with different solutions and I learned to be a little more resourceful. So I tried to predict what is going to happen. I tried to anticipate that. I've also learned that Photographing the unfolding action may not necessarily be the most vital and most important thing to do, and photographing the moment before the action or after the action can be just as evocative and uh, critical. 
let's talk a little bit about the so the content of that um, because this is this is one that has a lot of layers and um, and relates to the current as well as the past. Correct? Yes. You know, I think that that work was important for me because it allowed me to talk about the war without being at the forefront on the battlefront. I think that uh, being away from the actual action, the devastation, the destruction, and the violence gives you a kind of physical space and also a mental space to think about war in a way that's more, more cold, cold-headed. And I think that um, in that sort of landscape, um, maybe one can be a little bit more philosophical about the consequences of war, about why we enter war and why we keep repeating mistakes in spite of all the lessons, quote-unquote, learned. I think that uh, uh, it allows for a different perspective of war uh, than what you see um, on the front page of the newspaper. Obviously, the pictures are a little more, you know, they don't have the same um, kind of, uh, what do you call it, uh, they're not as uh, bombastic and they're not as uh, attention-grabbing, but they're full of tensions in different ways. They're about uh, connecting, you know, a kind of military endeavor within a larger landscape, uh, they're about also suggesting that the, the actual notion of training is reminiscent of uh, other kinds of uh, quote-unquote training. So I think the notion of, of uh, training and repeating a scenario, which is a term that is used uh, during those trainings, uh, also recalls um, big Hollywood productions. I've worked with reenactments uh, a lot, um, and so this notion of, of um, recreating something, of repeating something, of trying to practice to get it right uh, is very interesting to me. So it, it is something about the unfolding present time, but also um, about trying to achieve something that may not be achievable. I like that. Um, thanks. That's so well said. Let's talk about the, the second series in there. Um, which is Vietnam, 1994-98. These are um, related, of course, to to your interests that you've just articulated, but it's, it's quite a different series. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those? Because these have such a specific uh, reference to a certain type of, of well, of a, of a war and, and history and, uh, and also, of course, training and a number of things that, that you've mentioned. So those pictures were made um, in the mid-1990s. Um, I came to the United States with my family in 1975 at the end of the Vietnam War. We were evacuated and uh, came to this country as political refugees. So um, in the mid-1990s, um, President Clinton renewed relations with Vietnam, lifted the economic embargo, and so this was the first time that Vietnamese Americans could actually return to Vietnam safely. And um, it, it was something we had never thought would be possible. Um, so it, it sort of opened, you know, um, a floodgate of emotions and possibilities for me to think about uh, being able to return. Um, I wasn't quite sure what kind of work I would be making, but as soon as I arrived, I sort of understood or came to realize that it was all in the landscape for me. I think that uh, um, in portraits, uh, people change and things change, but somehow I feel that no matter what happens to the landscape, I can still see um, the remnants of history, the remnants of a culture, 
past uh, and certainly present and, and suggestions the future. So um, I just, uh, um, you know, first on a bike and then on a motorbike uh, with someone driving me, I just kind of uh, explored the landscape um, and photographed that. Um, those pictures were really important to me because they sort of gave, um, they made tangible, you know, this notions of culture and landscape that I carried with me while we were living away from Vietnam. And I think that when you live um, in exile, you start uh, intensifying certain things and you forget other things. And, and it, it lives in your head and uh, in your imagination, in your dreams. And suddenly I was able to actually make it real with this photograph. And I think it was very uh, clarifying and very uh, ultimately reassuring to me that, that now I have these objects that I can carry with me, um, uh, very specific things that are a reminder of um, my culture, of my roots. Um, and these objects so you're talking what, about are, are, are the photographs themselves. Yeah, the photographs themselves. So I felt anything could happen. You know, we could uh, lose Vietnam again, and I would be all right. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I think that uh, um, that's what those pictures are about. They're also very significant in that they pretty much avoided um, uh, references to the war uh, towards the end. You know, I, I I photographed there for about four years back and forth, um, and towards the end, I think the pictures started suggesting notions of, of uh, the past uh, um, conflicts. But, but up until then, um, they avoided anything um, suggestive of, um, of the conflict. Um, but, and were these but, also but done I, with, a, with a large format camera? These yes, were, yes, they were done with a large format camera, yeah, with a 5 by 7 And it made sense because they needed to describe um, the landscape in the physical and uh, detailed way. There's one more section, which is very recent work, right? These are, this is a collection of, of new objects that creates the third part of the show? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, so I think that uh, this happened, but this happened because of Philip Kaiser, who organizes the artist programs at Marin Goodman, um, asked me if I had something small or something new, something unseen that I could add to the photographic series, and so I told them about these jumbo lighters I'd been collecting uh, for, for uh, quite a while, especially during quarantine. And he, he thought, well, all right, so think about showing those. I think this was um, early spring when we discussed this. And uh, so slowly over time, I figured out a way to, to exhibit these. I came across these jumbo lighters, and, and they, they are seven inches tall. Uh, compared to a Zippo lighter, which is, I think, uh, an inch and a half or something like that, or I, uh, right, I haven't right. measured very, very small. small. Yeah, yeah very, very, very small. small. It would fit in the yeah. palm of your hand. Yeah, but they, 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 the exact replica of the Zippo lighters that were made in Pennsylvania and in Bradford that the American GIs brought to Vietnam uh, during the war, those were inscribed in country by Vietnamese engravers. And they were very special. And I had a few, I don't think any of them were really, they were replicas that were made when Vietnam opened to tourism in the mid-1990s. It's very difficult to find the original Zippo lighters. But, but I, I had 
quite a number of them uh, to work with the reenactors. So when I came across this large one more recently, I was very intrigued. It, it weighs about two pounds or two and a half pounds. Uh, they're very sculptural. And why were they made? I, yeah, I've never heard of those either. Those sound like very unusual objects. Those are kind of yeah, and they uh, were. commemorative, um, or what um, are they? They are sort of, they're, they're called novelty um, objects and uh, tabletop lighters. So they, they are mostly made in Japan. Some are replicas made in China. And I know of, uh, I have a few friends who have used them, you know, in Eastern Europe and elsewhere. So they sit on the table because they're so heavy. But they just struck me as, as a kind of interesting and very evocative uh, idea, of, you know, uh, an evocative reminder of, of the Zippo lighters and the war without really being directly connected. I think that the first time I saw that one without an engraving so large, it felt like a container for me, uh, a kind of uh, container of memories and of the history of of the war uh, in there. Um, And I started researching them and finding out where they were made. Uh, There was not much information on the manufacturing, but I, I realized that you could purchase them online and they're all used. They're not being made anymore. And I started collecting them with quite a fervor or with fever uh, during quarantine when I couldn't really travel and couldn't really photograph and make work at the beginning. So I started accumulating them. And um, with this idea of of this exhibition coming up, uh, you know, everything kind of uh, kicked into high gear. I love the inscriptions that I found on the Vietnam era lighters. They are off the cuff, uh, uh, they're dark, uh, funny, and I think they're evocative and, and, and very resonant today. Uh, a lot of the themes are, are still thrown around today with slightly different language, notions of, um, about racial protest, uh, um, because uh, a lot of the inscriptions were made uh, you know, following the Olympic Games with the um, African-American track runners protesting at the Olympic Games. Um, notions of, of destiny, you know, why me, our recurrent themes, love, friendship, authority. So, so, so all of that, uh, notions of history, too. I think there were some beautiful things written about history, about the past, the today, and the future. And, and those, those really were compelling and resonant to me. So I transcribed a lot of those into the larger lighters, made some changes, but I, I thought they were poetic and to the point and very revealing. And so they, they kind of became this obsessive collection that I kept adding to and making changes to. And I think that they expressed the the kind of wild craziness that I was experiencing during the Trump administration and certainly during COVID, where one felt assaulted in so many ways um, because, you know, facts were not privileged and because... Um, everything was turned upside down. And, and, and so I think that those sliders expressed all of uh, that uncertainty and anxiety for me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. And, and also, though, you've, you've altered the lighters in a sense, right? You've added um, a kind of woven, uh, something that looks like a, a kind of tea cozy around them. I don't know what to call it. It almost looks like they're clothed in a, in a, in a kind of robe or something. Yeah, yeah, they are tea cozies. Um, you know, it, 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 I think it was at a time when I was obsessed by so many different things, and I felt that 
it was all coming together or it could come together. I've been working on these embroideries and learning about color theory and albums with a friend who's a painter. And over Christmas, I decided to make these pot holders and experiment with uh, patterns and colors and giving out the, the pot holders that children make in preschool and decided to make those and, and giving them out to friends for Christmas. You know, it, it was a way to keep busy because I was spending so much time watching C-SPAN and watching um, the impeachment trials, and, and uh, I just couldn't. At, at the same time as I was obsessed with watching the news, I also was upset at myself for wasting so much time in front of the TV, so I just tried to, to keep busy. So I made all these potholders, and at one point, I felt that uh, perhaps the lighters, some of the lighters needed some kind of additional, uh, like you said, uh, manipulation. And I thought, well, maybe I could dress them up. And so I came up with a, a, a kind of um, a different loom that would create these sleeves to fit on top of them. And it, in a way, it made sense to me because, you know, pot holders for holding something that's too hot to handle. And in the way the lighters were too hot to handle, you know, they, they have also incredible significance in, in, in that they were used uh, to burn some of the villages in Vietnam by the GIs. And, and so, you know, they also represented lightning rod human rights issues that perhaps uh, these uh, sleeves could recall uh, or touch on. Well, um, and so in so many layers, and of course also, I mean, like your other work, these layers of history uh, relating to the, to, to the present, relating to last year, the pandemic, the election, the incredible uh, chaotic state the, 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 the world was in all seemed to be, so to speak, woven in there. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think that's the right word, uh, woven, and it could be picked apart, and uh, you can remove the sleeves, uh, you can open the lighter if you wish. I, I think that there are also layers of uh, that notion of trying to replicate something of which is built in with reenactments, with film sets. And so it, it's all built in. It's there to be picked apart. Thank you uh, so much for talking about that. It's, it's, uh, it's beautiful work and, 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 of course, upsetting work in many ways and, um, and very exciting to see all of this come together. So I, I want to congratulate you on the on the show, which is running now, and there's links for everybody who's listening to, to learn more. I want to ask you one more question, which is what are you reading at the moment, something I'm always interested in? Um, I, I'm reading Ben Ratliff's Every Song Ever, the essays about uh, listening to music. And, and it's strange enough, but, I mean, music is important to me, but I'm, I'm not very musical. I don't, I, I don't think that I've ever paid enough attention to it uh, in the past. And I worked with a student uh, I teach at Bard College who was interested in photography and music, and she was a, a double major. So I started wanting to learn more uh, about possible overlaps between uh, photography and, and music or the, the image and, and sound and, and started reading his, his, um, this collection of essays that I really love. And I thought that they were very compelling and revelatory. That sounds so interesting. Thanks for sharing that and, and, and me. Thanks so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate your, your time and, uh, and the beautiful show you've put together. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs> 